We're going to talk about the church this morning. And most of us have a pretty good concept of what it is. But maybe we can we can help a little bit along this line and give a, 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 a more of a definition. So I'd, I'd ask you to, to follow carefully what I'm saying and listen to what I'm saying and, and take into consideration a couple of things to start with that we'll use as a continuum through this time. There is the individual and there is the collection of the individual. Now, I'm going to deal with those two subjects in particular. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, there are a couple of things we have to take into consideration to start with. We know we're going to talk about the church. What we have to understand is how Jesus is using this word. Now, most of you got up this morning and said, I'm going to go to church. And every time we talk about church, we're talking about something that most of us have a pretty clear definition of what we're saying. However, we really need to look at how Jesus used this word for us to understand what he was talking about. When God decided to reveal his plan for our salvation to mankind, it is said that he sent his son in the fullness of times, Galatians 4 verse 4, which meant he sent him at the right time. So he selected a particular time in our history to insert his son into this world in order for him to bring about his purposes. And that was the time of the Greek-speaking world. He chose the language, the Greek language, in order to convey to you and I what he had in mind. Now, the Greek language forms the basis, most of the basis, for our language even today. But the Holy Spirit then took that Greek language, if he came in that fullness of times, and God wanted it done this way, and this book, by the way, is a translation of that language from the Old Testament even into the New Testament. But the Holy Spirit chose exact words. Now, I want you to know that there are two ways that Bible interpreters or Bible translations, translators have come up with giving you translation to the Bible. Some believe that God gave His inspiration or gave His words through simple ideas. He, in other words, they believe that God gave man, the apostles, some ideas. And the apostles then put these ideas into their own words. Now that's thought translation or thought inspiration. The other is, and what I endorse personally is, called plenary inspiration. And that means that I believe that God chose each word. And that the Holy Spirit chose these particular words to express these particular ideas. Word for word. That's why, basically, I use the King James Version in, in my studies and in my preaching. Because the translators will show you the words that they found in the original text. And then they'll put in italics the words that they insert in order to kind of make the thought. So I, I know the difference between the words that are generally in the text and the words that are 
inserted for understanding or to make this statement smooth. Now, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, here's where I get my, my idea, my, the basis for what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, Paul said, It is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man that is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit which is of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, spiritual words. So, Bonnie doesn't know what's in my heart. She thinks she does. So when we're in a discussion, she'll say, I know what, I know what you mean, but maybe she doesn't know what I mean. I have to tell her. And she does, I don't know what she means sometimes. What's in her heart has to be expressed to me before I'll know it. In the same way with you. So what he's saying is, in the heart of God, the Holy Spirit takes what God wants you to know and he puts them in words, not that fleshly wisdom teaches, but which, which he's chosen. He's chosen these words to tell you what he means. Okay. Now, this is the way the word was used, church, in the New Testament. Now, that's what I want to show you. And so, let's put these words up on the board. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So here's the Greek word, oikodomio. That's the word, build my church. And the word oikodomio in the Greek actually means to build a house. And that's the way it's used throughout the New Testament. Whenever he talks about building, it's usually to build a structure or to build a house. So Jesus is saying, upon this rock I'm going to build my house, the church. Now the word church, ecclesia, is the word called out. So he said, I'm going to build my house, the called out, on the rock. Pretty, pretty simple, isn't it? The word church, what's not real simple is that we don't really understand how that word church is used in the New Testament unless we do a little, little bit of research. How was that word used? You know, Jesus only used that word three times in his life on this earth. Just three times. The word ecclesia. He used it in, in the book of Matthew in chapter 18 when he was talking about problems that people were having with each other. And he said, he said if, any, if any, anybody offends you, go to him and tell him the offense. And if he hears you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't hear you, take two or three witnesses. If he won't hear them, then he said, tell it to the church. And if you won't hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man, a publican. Now, that word church actually is used. That's the only time he used it other than this one that we're reading here in Matthew chapter 16 18. That word church in the, like I said, it's used only three times by Jesus. And those are the three times. 
in the rest of the books of the New Testament, what we call the epistles, so you won't find it in the book of Mark, Luke, and John, it starts being used in the book of Acts. It starts out in Acts chapter 2. That's where the word church starts out. It's used three times, three times by Jesus. It's used over a 100 times in the epistles, but it's not found in First and Second Peter, First and Second John, or Jude. But it's found in all the other books. Now, he said, I'm going to build a house. Then he's going to call this church. Last week I talked about the fact that God selected a people. Romans chapter 9, verse 25. He said, I will call them my people that were not my people. He's talking about us. He's talking about selecting people, calling them out of the world into His service. Okay. The building material He's going to use, according to 1, Timothy, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, is a living stone, which is an individual. He's going to build, he's going to build with the living individual. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Now, if it's a human being, then we believe that Jesus, who is the resurrected Christ, we believe in Him, we confess His name, we are baptized into Him for the mission of sins, we rise to walk in newness of life, and Jesus enters our hearts and starts a building process. He begins to build His house. Now, that's the first thing I wanted you to to be really, really zeroed in on. When He comes into your heart after your resurrection, He starts to build His place where He's going to live on this earth. He's building His house. That's the house He's building. Now let's look at this term ecclesia. It means the called out. That word was used, and it, it, it was started. They started using that word in the 11th century before Christ. The Greek, the Greek uh, language began to use that word in terms of free city states. Free. What it was is here was a city that was under the umbrella of the Greek government, under Philip and Alexander, and so forth. So the Greek government overshadowed the whole world. It was a world power. And certain cities, like Sparta, for instance, were called free states, free city-states, which meant that the people in these free city-states had, had a, an attraction to each other, and they could rule themselves to a degree, but they were under the protection of the Greek government. Now, that was called a church. Those people were called a church, an ecclesia. Now, it's used in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 19, and that, this, is a, this is a very interesting one, when Paul was at the city of Ephesus, he, got, he, was, he was teaching Jesus Christ, and uh, all of a sudden, there was a silversmith there that said, hey, this guy's interrupting our business. So he said, he got everybody in an uproar. And as a matter of fact, he said he got the whole city in the uproar. 
And they went storming into the temple as a big mob. And they, were, they, they brought people with them to, to try to accuse them of doing things. And what they were accusing the Christians of, that they were, they were teaching against Diana, the goddess, their goddess, their, their idol. And they were trying to, trying to uh, disrupt those who were preaching about Jesus Christ. Now, what happened is interesting. Because the town clerk got them together and he said, wait a minute. And what I'm, what I'm telling you is that this city, Ephesus, was a free city-state under the Roman government. It was a church. <laughs> Every city was not a church, but this one was. That's what they called it, it was a church. Now, what he said in verse 39, he says, If you inquire anything concerning other matters, he's talking about religious matters, he said, It shall be determined in a lawful assembly. And that word assembly is the word church, ecclesia. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the church. Basically, what a church was were free citizens who had an attraction to each other. They were attracted to one another because of their status as being free. Now that, that, that's, that's not a tough thing to think about. You, you have to think about the fact that if you were in Ephesus and you were a city, citizen of the city of Ephesus, you had a stature that other cities did not have. Corinth had one, of course, and so there were other cities at that time. But the city's citizens in Ephesus had a stature, a standing with the government that others didn't have. When the Apostle Paul, Tarsus was one of these cities, by the way, under the Roman government. When the Apostle Paul was taken into custody in the city of Jerusalem, uh, he, was, he was there preaching to the Jews who had gathered around and carried him into the temple, and they were wanting to kill him. And he was rescued by, by the uh, chief captain, uh, Claudius Lysias. And this man had, had taken him from the Jews who were trying to kill him and, and put, him, put him under his protection. And, and then he said, well, what I'm going to do, because I don't know what's going on here, I'm going to have you scourged. They're going to whip him, get the truth out of him. And Paul made the statement, this is all found in Acts chapter 22. Paul made the statement, he says, Is it right for you to scourge a Roman, one who is Roman freeborn? Paul was from a free city state of Tarsus that was under the umbrella of the Roman government. Simply because he was from that city, he was of that church, basically. That's what it's called. And the Claudius Lysias said, well, how'd you get this? He said, I, I, I had to buy my Roman citizenship. And Paul said, I was freeborn. Why? Because he's born in the city of Tarsus. The word carries the meaning of a people who, the, who are, although they are free, they, are, they have an attraction to one another. They have an affinity. They, 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 they know each other. And they're together in some way. Now, Paul called the church the house of God. Now, let's look at some of these texts. 
He called it the house of God. He said, if I tarry long that you may know how to, to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And so what he's saying is, I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the church. Now, we sometimes think that means when you're in the assembly. But it may mean because you are part of a free state. How you conduct yourself. The foundation, he said, was the rock. I'll build my church upon this rock. Now we know the rock is, is not a man. It's not an organization. The rock that we build our lives on, if God is building the house, which is the individual, which is you, he's building you on the foundation of Jesus Christ, him being crucified, and he is the fountain. Paul said, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't build yourself on any other foundation. And we know this from Matthew chapter 7, you remember? When uh, some came to Jesus, and they were claiming that they were following him, and then his rep response was, he said, he said, he that hears these sayings of mine is like a, ma a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. Floods come, the winds blow, the storms come, and the rains come, and, they war and, and the house stands because it's on a rock. But others build their house on the sand. We, we know that story. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. He's building his house upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. We can dismiss some of the errors very easily about what the church is or is not. Now, most people today, as a matter of fact, it's generally conceded that the word church does not mean a cathedral or a basilica or a temple or a building. You know, maybe years ago people thought that, but nobody seems to think that anymore. If you say, I'm going to go to church and you're just going to a building, you, you know that doesn't work. If you say, I'm going to church and you come to this building and nobody's here, you say, well, I didn't go to church, I went to the building. So we know that. So these, these things are, are fairly well conceded. And, and uh, Stephen said this in Acts chapter 7, verse 48 through 50. He said, The Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as says the prophet. Heaven's, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Has not my hands made all these things? So the church is not a building. We get that. And it's not, but here's the thing that we don't get. And here's the thing I really want to emphasize in what I'm talking to you about today. It is not an organization. It is not a political, religious organization. You say, now wait a minute. The church has elders, it has deacons, it has teachers. That's not an organization. But you have to be careful of that. You have to think, of, those are servants. When we're talking about an organization, we're talking about a top-heavy group who say, here's what you're going to do, and then we have lieutenants, and then we have captains, we have all the way down, we have CEOs, we have CFOs, we have a, a pyramid of religious products and so forth. That's an organization. Now, in Luke chapter 22, there were some fellows that, that thought maybe they needed to be high up in the organization. And Jesus is saying, we don't have an organization. 
In Luke chapter 22, at verse 24, it says, There was strife among them. He's talking about the apostles. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? So they want to know, who, who's at the top here? And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he is the chief, as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sits at meat, or he that serves. Is not he that sits at meat, but I am among you as he that serves. So he's saying, what I want you to do, and really this is the toughest part for us to think about and consider about the church. The people who are drawn together, and that's basically what we have to keep in mind. The word church means individuals in a free state who are drawn together somehow. What attracts people? What attracts people who believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So, when you obey the gospel, you know what? If you are in the church, that means that you have an attraction to other people in whom Jesus lives. That's what's going on. It's not conceded, generally, that it's a uh, political religious organization, but it is, really. So the church, when it's drawn together, when these people are drawn together, has no organization. What it has is servants. People who serve others. That's what it has. That's what it has. Okay. Now, when we talk about the church in the New Testament, we're talking about God's people. These are God's people. And sometimes it's the, the word church is church of God. You'll read that in the New Testament. Mainly in the books of the text of the Apostle Paul when he, when he addresses the church at Corinth and Galatians and so forth. The church of, of, of God. And then the church of Christ. Romans 16, 16. The church of Christ salute you. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Sometimes it's the church in somebody's house. In Romans chapter 16, Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talks about a church that was in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. In their house. So the church, God's people, can be the church of God, the church of Christ. It's, it's, either called, it's also called the church of the firstborn ones in Hebrews chapter 12. Churches of the Gentiles. That's, how, that's, that's referred to too. The church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the, church in the churches in Asia. These are free people who are independently being made into a place where God lives. You, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you've, you've, you've made yourself subject to Him, and you've invited God into your life. Now the church then is... If it's God's people, the church is God's house. We've already mentioned that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The church is also called a temple. Keep in mind we're talking about the individual in whom God lives. That's the only place God lives on this earth is in the individual. In the person. It doesn't take two people in order to get God present. 
or 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people. He is in the individual. And the individuals, because he's in them, are attracted. That's what the word church means. Individuals who are attracted to one another. Now, Ephesians 2 verse 2 says, In whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that there is no temple until two of us get together, or three, or five, or ten. But it means that He is there in each individual. He's Jesus Christ is in you, and God is in you. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, He is the head of the body of the church. How close, how close are these members when they are attracted? How close are they? He, he describes the church as a body. He's the head, and each individual is a member of that body. That's how close you are. That's how close Christians are. That's how close they should be. And that, that's, that's the use of the, that illustration. Even though the apostles refers to the individual whom Jesus dwelled as, as God's church, as God's house and temple, he is also referring to how that individual is attracted to others in whom God dwells. Now then, I remember one time uh, I, I found a magnet. Does everybody know what a magnet is? Have you ever had a little magnet? Pete knows what a magnet is. Have you ever had a little magnet? It attracts metal, doesn't it? I had a magnet and I had a, a little box of paper clips. And so I put my magnet on my desk and then I spilled all the paper clips out on top of the magnet. You know what they did? They came to the magnet. That's what Christians do. They come to Jesus. He is the magnet. And they come together to Him. Yeah, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw them in unto myself. So if Christ is in you, you know what? You're going to be drawn to where Jesus is. And where is He? He's in other Christians. Isn't that correct? So now then you're being drawn together. Now this is the point I want to get to. We're talking about being drawn together and becoming the church. Now, one of the greatest problems, one of the probably the greatest problem in current society today is that people do not believe in what they call organized religion. What they mean is they don't want to get together with other Christians. Now, if you have been baptized into Jesus Christ and Jesus is in you, you will be attracted to others in whom Jesus lives. Did you know that? That's going to happen. That's what was supposed to happen. Okay. Someone says, no, you know what? I can get close to God in nature. So I'm going to go sit on a mountaintop or out on a desert floor and I'm going to get close to God and I'm going to admire all of His works. And that will draw me close to God. You know, you're not getting close to God. You're getting close to what He made. Isn't that right? You're, that doesn't bring you closer to God just because you, you can see a sunset or see a sunrise or see a rainbow or see the wonders of His universe. You're just looking at what He made. If you really want to admire what He made, His greatest, most magnificent creation was the human being. 
That was the epitome of his creation. That's who you ought to be with because that's where God is in that human being making them over. In the turn of the 20th century, Thomas Edison. Everybody know who Thomas Edison is? When you turn on a light bulb, you know Thomas Edison. He didn't, he didn't invent the light bulb, but he, he commercialized the light bulb. He had over a thousand inventions. Thomas Edison did. He also invented the phonograph, and he invented the movie picture, moving picture. So someone says, you know what? I want to get next to Thomas Edison. I want to, I want to, get, I want to see what, what I, want, I, want to be, I want to be near his, his ingenuity, near his inventiveness. I want, I, want to, I want to feel his presence. Well, you, you don't play a phonograph and feel the presence of Thomas Edison. You don't turn on a light bulb and say, okay, now, Tom, I'm next to you. You don't go to the movies and say, I'm, I'm, I, I, I now know what you're doing, Tom. No, as a matter of fact, you go to his workshop. They say he wasn't a good man, wasn't a nice man. That when you went into Tom's workshop, he was, he was pretty arbitrary and he was pretty stern and pretty mean with his workers. But if you wanted to see Thomas Edison at work, you went where he was working. If you want to see God, you come to where he's at work. Isn't that right? Where is God working? He's working in the hearts and the minds and the souls of believers. And wherever are the believers? They have come together. That's the church that he's calling. Now the word edify is a word that's used in the New Testament. And the word edify means to build up. So where's God Where's God working? Where's God working? He's edifying you. And I, I want to be a part of that. I, I want to be in His workshop. I want to see what He's doing. So, the Bible says, in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Come edify each other. That's what he's saying. You want to get close to God? Get close to those who, in whom Jesus is working. Isn't that correct? I want to be close to you. Why? Because the Bible says, not, a, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You're not going to be able to do it on your own, friend. You have to be in the church. The individual where God is in his workshop, together, drawn together. And that's happened. The church comes together to sing. Singing and teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's building up. When I hear your voice singing the praises of God, I'm being built up. I really am. Aren't you? We pray together. When, when Peter and John were taken into custody and, and they were under the duress of, of a, a penalty of death, the church, his people, were gathered together praying for him. They were praying for him. When we pray, when we're together, and I can't, I can't imagine not being together with God's people. I can't imagine that. Because I want to be where God is. I want to be, I want to be where He's working. 
He's working in you. And, and I don't want to be where he's not at work. I'm not going to go to some bar and sit down and say, okay, I'm going to get close to the Lord here. Well, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to go to a rave or I'm not going to go to a riot. I'm not going to go somewhere where God's not working. He's at work today in you, and I'm glad I'm here. It's that he has drawn me. You have drawn me because there's a magnetism to Jesus Christ that draws us together. You say, well, you know what? I can get more out of I can get more out of a radio sermon. Well, you might. You might get a lot of inspiration and encouragement. I can get more out of a TV preacher. Maybe so. But what can you give? We're told that we are laborers together in the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 We're laborers. We work together. We're helping. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm sorry. Laborers together. What are we doing? Well, we're building up one another. Isn't that correct? We're teaching. Teaching one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're exhorting one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And we're eating together. Now the early church got together and had meals. That's how they started out. When, when, the, when the church was first established in Acts chapter 2, and there were 3,000 people that were baptized, it says that, that they, they came together and breaking bread and eat, taking their meals from house to house that had eaten and, uh, and so forth. And God added to the church daily those who were being saved. How did he add to the church? Every time someone was baptized into Jesus Christ, they became part of that group that had the magnetism together and they stayed and they ate they they ate together so much that they had some problems with it because some people weren't getting what they needed at the dinner table and so they 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 had to make some allowances for that and take care of it in acts chapter 6 and in first corinthians chapter 11 it talks about some that when they were came together to eat some of them were eating before others got there and so they were misusing their eating we eat together in memory of Jesus Christ at the Lord's table. That's what we do. So you say, well, okay, Bill, are you built up by my presence here? Are you built up? Yes, I am. Every time I see you and I know that Jesus Christ is at work in your heart, it builds me up. And every time I hear your voice singing, it, builds, it makes me stronger. I think I can make it through another week. I think I can. Let's think about that then. Let's think about instead of going somewhere where we think that we can get closer to God, let's go with those who are close to God and they can get us closer to God. Some things to think about about the church. Let's stand together and sing the song of invitation.